Scott Colborn with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. How are you doing? I'm pretty good, Mr. Colborn. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. It's great to have you here. What kind of a show are you going to have today? We're going to have a really good shoe. A good shoe, as Ed Sullivan would say. Scott Colborn with Jim Shorty. Jim, are you done cleaning up the studio over here? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm done cleaning up my headphones. We have uh, Jack Reacher coffee in our thermos this morning. Yummy. And a great show starting off with Charlene with the Capital Humane Society, Dogs and Cats for Adoption. And we've got parapsychologist and author Lloyd Arbach. We'll talk about a class that Lloyd's teaching. And Dan Baldwin. He's a co-author with Rhonda Hull and Dwight Hull. Brand new book out called Conversations with Spirits of the Southwest. This is a follow-up to the earlier book that they had out, uh, which was Speaking with Spirits of the Old Southwest. And uh, really enjoyed this book. Let's see, we have uh, bright skies in Lincoln. Yeah, nice day. Uh, time mark, Saturday the uh, 16th. I'm wearing shorts again and uh, left my coat at home. <laughs> so we know it's warm weather. You know, it's, uh, it's, yeah. it's acclimating now. It's probably close to 40 outside, so, but yeah. that yeah. bright sun, you walk outside and it feels really good on your face. going to be a wonderful day in the neighborhood. Jim was remarking last week that we uh, had lost the uh, transmitter for the first 30 minutes of the show due to icing on the antenna, and now we're, we're back in back up and running. Moderate, moderate weather here. So join me, folks, uh, in a relief effort uh, for the people in western, central, and northern Nebraska who have been hit so, so hard with... Uh, flooding. There are entire towns that are blocked out um, that you can't enter or leave because of bridges um, swept away by the flood. Roads are impassable. Um, who would have thought that Columbus or Fremont would mm -hmm. be cities like that? Seward was cut off for a while, I think. So the American Red Cross is a good uh, repository for donations. Um, we can't... Uh, fill sandbags, many of us. We can't travel to an area um, and pitch in with our manual labor. So one thing we can do is make donations to uh, worthy causes that are helping people directly affected by this. And so I encourage all my listeners uh, that uh, have a bit of compassion to show that through a donation to the American Red Cross. And I appreciate that very much. Coming up next is Charlene with the Capital Humane Society. And uh, through the advent of all things electronic, she should be right there. Good morning. Hi, Charlene. How are things going at the Capital Humane Society? Things are going really good so far. Uh, so I've got to ask you, has anybody taken me up in my offer to adopt Baby Girl? She is 
still available for adoption. She needs a very special person who understands that the, the training that she requires. Um, she's available by appointment. Um, she can be the first dog we talk about today, if you'd like. That sounds great. I'm just getting to the window here. So let's talk about baby girl. She's about two years old, a shepherd pit bull mix. Uh, she really loves our staff. She's just a good girl, but she is, does take time to warm up and does need people who understand she needs training and a safe environment. Um, again, she's available by appointment, uh, so you just give us a call, and we'd have a, a time to set up an, an appointment for you to meet with her and see if she's a perfect match for you. Um, I'd love to spend $50, folks, and help you towards your uh, adoption fees. So that's a standing offer until we get baby girl adopted. And I'd love to see one of my listeners, uh, people that have good hearts, uh, uh, going out and seeing her and adopting her. So baby girls are a leadoff dog. And baby girls joined by... Bosco. <laughs> Bosco has a very big, happy grin on his face. He is a pointer coon hound mix, just eight months old, oh, very intense dog, super intelligent, needs somebody who can uh, provide him with some direction. But as soon as you do, you can just see he just clicks and he pays attention. He sits when you ask him to, things like that. Uh, so if you have time to provide some training, uh, Bosco might be the perfect dog for you. Um, it seems like when we were kids, Jim, I still have you by a few years. I'm a little bit older. Just, but just a little bit. Didn't we have some sort of chocolate-flavored f- drink that was called yeah, I think so. Bosco or something like that? Mm-hmm. I remember that. That rings a bell. In fact, I'm <laughs> uh, getting a little little family here, but uh, that was uh, my uh, father-in-law's nickname for my son when he was little. I'll be called darned. him Bosco. We're looking at uh, Bosco's picture at CapitalHumaneSociety.org. You can see Baby Girl, Bosco, and I'm guessing that your third pick is... Spike and Maya. I was right. They are an adorable, (laughs) perfect pair that need to go to a home together. Maya is a nine-year-old Chihuahua mix, and Spike is a nine-year-old Shih Tzu mix. Uh, they are just really, really cute, and they act like puppies. Kind so of an don't odd them, couple. Don't, yeah, don't think that just because they're nine that they're going to slow down. They are just very energetic and playful, uh, love attention. Um, we do want them to meet other dogs and children if you have them in the home to make sure everyone's going to get along fine. Uh, but if you're looking for twice the fun, please ask about Spike and Maya. You know, I could have seen them being named Felix and Oscar. Yeah. Oh, that's cute. Pictures are up at CapitalHumaneSociety.org. Better yet, here's Charlene, and she's going to tell you about hours open. You can go out and see these great dogs. Our Pylock Pet Adoption Center is open today and tomorrow from 11 to 530. What's in your cup in the morning, Charlene? Are you a tea drinker or a coffee gal? I am, and I am having some English breakfast tea today. It's very nice. Cats for Adoption, we've got the page open at CapitalHumaneSociety.org. And what cat is, who's first? We're going to start with Floof. Floof? Look look at that cat. Look at that. That is awesome. Floof is very handsome, and he knows it. Yes, he does. He's about a year old, has long, fluffy fur. Uh, He prefers to be your one and only friend, so does not care to share his face with other dogs or cats. Um, but he's a whole lot of cute cat, and he knows he's enough for somebody, so ask about Floof. 
Floof. <laughs> okay, Floof is joined by... Next up is Renee, and she's a very sweet cat. Uh, she's poking her little head out of her little cubby there. She's a dilute tortie, so she has the gray and orange markings, about two years old, uh, really beautiful, would love an amazing home. Uh, she is a little bit shy, so she's often in that little cubby. So if you're looking for a quiet companion and have a calm home, she might be your best buddy. Great-looking cat. Take a look at Renee at capitalhumanesociety.org. And then there's... Next up is Woody. And Woody is a one-year-old, neutered male, domestic short hair, and he's super, super playful. There, He's never met a toy he didn't like. So if you like really enthusiastic friends, ask about Woody. Okay, the Woodman and Renee and Floof. Three great cats for adoption. Here's Charlene with hours open today and tomorrow. Our Pylock Pet Adoption Center is open on Saturday and Sunday from 11 to 5.30. Okay, Charlene, uh, with this beautiful sky and great, uh, finally, spring weather, what are you doing the rest of the weekend? I'll be working today. I expect it's going to be very busy here. Um, and then tomorrow, maybe we'll be doing some yard work, getting some of those leaves cleaned up. <laughs> okay, it's always great to connect with you, and thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you for everything. Uh, Charlene and friends at the Capital Humane Society make them the first place you go when you want to adopt a dog or a cat. And all these dogs and cats, um, they could be your next best friend. Take a look at CapitalHumaneSociety.org. I'm Scott Colborn, and Jim Shorty's here, you guys and gals out there. We'd like to say a special hello and thank you to Rosemary Ellen Guiley. And to Shelley, who lives in Canada, they each donated multiple prepaid phone cards. And these are so important because we use these to call our guests um, in the USA and internationally each and every week. So thousands of people listening now and also later through the archive benefit by their generosity. So Rosemary and Shelley, thank you very much. Next up is parapsychologist and author Lloyd Auerbach. And Lloyd, uh, how are you doing this Saturday morning? Just getting started, Scott. Thanks. You've got a class through the Rhine Research Center that you're probably about halfway through? Yeah, actually, we are halfway through the, uh, coming up on Monday. It'll be the fourth of eight weeks for the advanced investigations class. And what is the difference when you investigate a public place versus a private residence or private home? Are there distinctions or differences? Well, for one thing, um, you're rarely ever dealing with people who are afraid. You're dealing with people who probably work there, maybe customers if it's a restaurant or a hotel. But rarely do you have people who are, are sitting in fear or wanting something happening. Plus, they typically don't want it gone. Whatever is going on, they, they like to have phenomena around, may even be part of the attraction to the location. And finally, you don't have to worry about confidentiality most of the time. Um, on occasion, you do. I've, I've done a few public places where the um, owner or managers just wanted to know what was going on because things have been happening for so long, but they didn't, and they didn't really want the rest of the public to know. 
place is haunted, but uh, generally you're able to talk freely about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just going to say, the old days, there was probably a stigma against people talking about it, knowing about that, and not wanting the public to know. And nowadays, it seems like that's a that's a big draw. Um, it can be. Um, there are still places where um, they just don't want it widely known. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember there was a hotel in San Jose years ago called Le Baron. It's a different hotel these days. And one psychic in the area was publicizing it being haunted in a particular room. And the hotel, this was well before the ghost hunting TV shows, the hotel did not, just kept denying it. Uh, they totally denied it. They didn't want it known. And it still spread that it was there. So people would actually avoid that room. Today, I think you have no problem filling it. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I know also um, when my late um, investigations partner, Annette Martin, and I, right before she died, we were talking about with our publisher about doing a, a book on a kind of haunted Napa Valley and the wineries and uh, other places up in wine country. And she talked to a couple of major wineries, which we had heard from reliable sources were haunted, but the winery. Some of those wineries are pretty snooty. They did not want to have to uh, did not want to admit that they were haunted because they were afraid that it would attract the wrong clientele and chase away some of the right clientele. Wow. So if uh, I, I can't tell you off the top of my head what this room number is, but there is a quote unquote fabled room at the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado, um, uh-huh. that is known to be haunted. So if a person went there. And didn't get that room, but got the room right next door, same hallway, or the one right across the hall. Is there any, uh, is there any real difference there? The ghost is not bound, or spirit is not bound by that location. They can go pretty much any place they wish. Or is it that that particular room, just as an example... May may be a nexus, a a portal, an entry point that that is very important. Well, really, it's it's one of two things. One, the room may be uh, haunted. In other words, not having an actual ghost or apparition there, somebody conscious. What they've got is an imprint of a person or event that happened in the past. Mm, okay. In which case, that's pretty much locked to the location. The other is, it may be that the apparit- that there's an apparition, but he or she is psychologically bound. Now, they are really focused themselves on that location. It has very little to do with whether the apparition can move around, because they can. It's just that they don't know that they can, or that they, for whatever reason, just don't want to. Mm-hmm. There's an old Zen uh, of saying that if you think so, so... If you think not so, not so. Would, would that then cover the difference between people that would be um, not only closed-minded, but just uh, not interested at all in the phenomena and uh, in mentally, psychologically really debunking this if they stayed there versus somebody who uh, had a degree of interest, perhaps was fairly well-read in the subject, and was open to an experience. 
does does the uh, intention and the mindset of the person that is in and around the location does that contribute towards an overall experience? Well, it certainly can. Uh, certainly, people who are who go to the, like let's say go to the Stanley Hotel and rent that room specifically because they want to have a ghost experience. First of all, they're predisposed now. Um, they may actually have an experience even if the experience isn't real because they are waiting for something to happen. I mean, they could have a dream in the middle of the night that has nothing to do with anything mm-hmm. related to the paranormal, but because they interpret it as being the ghost or influence of something psychic on them just because they're hoping for something. And the reverse can be true also for skeptics or, or I should say disbelievers where they just simply ignore what is happening right in front of their face. Human beings are really good at that. Are there any good reality TV shows left that are covering the subject? You know, I don't know of any good ones right now. Um, Kim Russo's show, The Haunting Of, was a good one. Because Kim, part of the reason she's not doing it anymore is because she was pushed in a particular direction that she didn't want to go. She's a really great medium. Um, so you can find a couple of the shows like that with the mediums. Uh, you know, generally, reality shows are... The problem with reality shows, people talk about them as being uh, unscripted. And they are unscripted, but having been involved in several of them and observing others and talking to people who've been involved in like some of the mediums and such you still are directed by someone. Mm-hmm. So the medium in a show like like what Kim was doing could actually walk into a place, pick up on something, start talking about it, and then have the director or producer say, hey, um, stop for a minute. I need you to come in again, and I need you to do that again. But this time, I want you to shorten what you said. And that's not really reality. I mean, it's, it's reflection of reality, but it's not actually what just happened. So that's actually pretty consistently the norm in a lot of these shows. Uh, Plus, you know, you have interviews that you do if you're an expert, and you don't know how it's going to turn out to be edited. In the edit room, they could cut off half the sentence and make it seem like you said one thing when, in fact, you said the other, the opposite. So the directors... Generally, I have to look at these shows as really... Entertainment. Uh, entertainment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The director is saying to the person, now, when you come in that doorway again, act really horrified. Right. <laughs> and they weren't acting yeah, horrified yeah. You know, at I, all. I, I did a segment for Unsolved Mysteries back in the late 80s. Um, they flew me out to, to, to Wisconsin because I've been interviewed by, the report, by a reporter covering a poltergeist case out there, or what appeared to be a poltergeist case. And... Um, the couple had moved out because they were so freaked out. The guy had had, had a heart attack, which had literally nothing to do with, with the activity, by the way. But they were afraid. So, um, And the reporter did a really good job of covering the story. But the director of this piece for Unsolved Mysteries absolutely positively wanted this to be demonic. That's what they wanted to do. So they flew me out. He kept on trying to get me to say something that I would not say. Um... And then on top of it all, the couple got wind of um, a couple that used to live there, and they were going to do the interview. In fact, they did the interview um, in shadow, 
I sat in on the interview, and they weren't that afraid anymore. They had thought about it, realized that a lot of stuff had nothing to do with the phenomena, but it was real phenomena when they were there, and it was poltergeist, meaning one of them caused it. Mm. Unfortunately, um, they thought about what the director was trying to do. They thought they heard from the people who had bought their house that the director was trying to make it demonic, and they refused to sign the, the um, lease. The lease form. Because they, for, for whatever reason, they didn't get the release time sign before they did the interview, that was, which is a stupid thing for TV people to do. Um, so I actually got blamed because I was sitting in in the interview uh, and because I was so adamant about the polders. I never said a word during their interview, by the way. They, they were introduced to me. They knew my articles, the articles about me. They had read the reporter stuff. So they, I got reamed out on the phone by... At, at, something in the morning the next day when the newspaper came out um, with the reporter actually writing a follow-up, which was basically covering my discussion and then I was convinced it was still a poltergeist case. I didn't mention even sitting in the interview, but this is the same reporter. She actually was allowed to come to my portion of the visit by the senior producer. But the director was, was getting of course, the heat, because he couldn't get the, the thing signed. He eventually did. And, of course, they cut me out of the piece totally. They found a local uh, minister who was willing to say it was a demon, and they put him on instead. Mm. When you're doing a public haunts investigation, what evidence matters? It's really the witness testimony. If uh, Other than what may be going on at the time, you know, one thing for any public haunt is that there has to be current activity. In other words, uh, I want to know that something happened last week before we go on. Because you can have a place that was was really well haunted or has a lot of stories to it five years ago, and there's nothing happening now. And if there was an apparition five years ago, that apparition may have moved on, or the haunting phenomena may have lessened or even stopped. Mm-hmm. So we have to have something current, and that means current witnesses, and then we look for things, depending on what kind of case it is, such as uh, you know, trying to make contact. If it's an apparition, we like to bring in a medium or psychic. If it's a haunting, we, we do look for high magnetic fields, which have no ex- explanation. And rarely in public places do you have poltergeist activity, but you may have the apparition moving things. So you have to kind of be on the lookout for that, too. Uh, and finally, when you collect all the evidence, what do you do with it? Well, for a public place, we look at, there's two things. First, if I'm called into a public place, it's because the folks want to know what's going on. And really, if there is an apparition there, they want to know who that person is. They want to have communication with them. Um, so it's really about information. If I go into a place because I've heard the place is haunted, uh, it's for me as a researcher to gather more information about people's experiences, to look for more <clears throat> more patterns, really to add to the data that we have from the field. Um, one of the best things about public places is that because it's a continued case that people don't want it stopped, we can kind of use the places almost like a living laboratory. Hmm. I'm looking at your syllabus here in the, the final entry for week four. Um, and this is interesting. It says what to focus on 
and what to ignore during the investigations run by others. Yeah, <clears throat> you know, we we hear about people coming, going to the same places that we go to. Um, the USS Warren Aircraft Carrier Museum is a good example where they have allowed other groups to come in, and they've put out bizarre uh, statements about the thing. Mm-hmm. Never once really talking to the witnesses. Um, it turns out that the amateur ghost hunters rarely ever spend time on the people's experiences because many of the shows call that anecdotal evidence, which they find is not useful. But in fact, that anecdotal evidence, the subjective experiences of witnesses, the people in the location, are the thing that you are investigating. Yep. That's where the report comes from. Yep. You know, if you didn't have people in the place, how would you know the place had any activity at all? So what I find is that too many of these organizations, these, these ghost hunting teams, tend to ignore that. They also focus heavily on technology, and most of the time they, they're using either using stuff that they don't understand, they don't know how it works, maybe, sometimes because they haven't read the instructions, which, which is bizarre to me. But the other is that they use technology now that's labeled ghost box or spirit box or, or, or something without knowing how it works and whether it even works. The way it says it works, and the way and the odds are, it's not going to work the way they, that the the um, manufacturer seller says it works. Yeah, wouldn't it be great if we had a, a credential section for some of these mm-hmm. uh, some of these shows where they said, and uh, Philip uh, has absolutely no prior experience in this field. He is a plumber by trade, and uh, mm-hmm. he uh, he bought this equipment two weeks ago. And uh, in in a overview of the explanations in the in the owner's manual, he couldn't answer a single question about how the equipment worked. <laughs> and, and you know, Scott and Lloyd, yeah, I, I found that they get mad at you if you ask them. Well, how does that work? How do you know oh, that? Totally. Yeah. It, yeah, it's yeah, doing they, what they it's do supposed to. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, the problem is that they may have they may have like. 30 years experience, um, I've heard that said by some of these people. But, you know, 30 years of bad investigation doesn't give you uh, good experience. <laughs> it's 30 years and of bad investigation. I, I, heard, I heard very specifically from one of the TV ghost hunters at a conference that we were all on a panel of, um, who, you know, they had decades of doing ghost investigations. He made this statement that there was no literature um, on investigations before the 1990s. Uh, he made that, like, standing almost next to me. <clears throat> and I, and this was a, a panel we all had, had our five minutes say, and then we're going to answer questions. So I actually broke in, and I said, you know, that's absolutely not true. Um, I, I basically, I, I didn't yell at him, but I think I, I'm sure I embarrassed the hell out of him because I talked about the fact that you know, there was over a hundred years of literature mm-hmm. on doing investigations and on this sure. area, going back to the, the Society of Psychical Research, and how dare he, you know, it very clearly indicated that he had no idea that there actually was a field that had been studying this. So, well, 30 just, years of experience doesn't do any good if you don't know what you're doing. Right. We are grateful for your experience and uh, your continuing presence as part of our team here. Lloyd Arbach is with us 
every third Saturday of the month with Invisible Signals. You'll find Lloyd, L-O-Y-D, Lloyd Auerbach, A-U-E-R-B-A-C-H, on Facebook. And Lloyd, what are you doing for the rest of the weekend? Well, I'm actually putting together a quiz, a midterm quiz for my class. And I'll be putting some things on social media. I'm working with some documentary producers. And we're actually looking for a good apparition case somewhere in the country. You know, one where we have a pretty clear idea that there is, is a conscious entity there. Uh, not a reality show, but uh, more of a documentary type thing. Okay. Uh, we'll so we'll have that, that out on social media. We'll, uh, we'll keep track of that, Lloyd. And again, thanks for taking time to be with us. Thank you for all that you do. Sure, Scott. Have a great weekend. Lloyd Auerbach. Again, it's Lloyd, L-O-Y-D, Auerbach, A-U-E-R-B-A-C-H. Jim Shorty, Scott Colborn here. You guys and gals will take a short break and be back with our our main guest, Dan Baldwin. He is the co-author with Rhonda and Dwight Hull. The brand new book is Conversations with Spirits of the Southwest, More Adventures into the Paranormal. We'll be right back with Dan Baldwin after this. Hey, the voice of the blues in Lincoln, Nebraska. KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. My name is Manny Morales. I'm 45 and I coach youth football. It's still hard to believe because the high school me was a work in progress. But big brothers, big sisters give me a real role model. And the young me needed a role model bad. My bigger brother's name is Ray. And Ray is the reason that this seven-year-old grows up to be a role model himself. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping big brothers, big sisters help a child. Start something today at bigbrothersbigsisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. This program is made possible in part by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. The full moon lights the silver rails winding around dark mountains and over steep gorges of jagged rock in one freezing cold rushing black mountain river. I wish there was enough time to describe all of the funny twists and turns that led up to now, but there isn't enough time because there's a ticking clock and the two passengers we care most about don't know anything about it. To see what happens next, visit read.gov to read The Exquisite Corpse, a riveting adventure pieced together by John Sheska, Shannon Hale, Daniel Handler, and other popular authors. Explore new worlds. Read. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM. Wolverine Unexplained Phenomena. It's sure great to have you with us. 34 plus years of broadcast every Saturday morning, going all the way back to 1984. Hey, I've been busy. I've uh, got a couple of people uh, signed up for the show. 
We've got an upcoming schedule that looks uh, really interesting. Next week, Tannis Hellowell, the High Beings of Hawaii, Encounters with Mystical Ancestors. March 30th, none other than Rosemary Ellen Guiley, a book I'm really looking forward to reading, Slips in Time and Space. April 6th, uh, Bill Phillips returns to the program. He's got a brand new book called Signs from the Other Side, Opening to the Spirit World. And then in late April, we've got Lee Harris, first-time guest, Energy Speaks, Messages from Spirit on Living, Loving, and Awakening. You can connect with us through the Exploring Unexplained Phenomena Facebook page, and also my personal page, Scott Colborn. Always great to, uh, to make a new friend. This last week on Wednesday at 4.30 p.m., I stood up from my computer and clapped my hands and said I'm done because I just finished all the data entry for all my tax prep into a spreadsheet. Hey. I had read it through and... Proofread it. I printed off about 40-some pages for my account that I see next week. And when I stood up, it felt like I was rejoining humanity. Like you had a weight lifted off your shoulders. Oh, yeah. Congratulations. It feels so good. It feels so good. That's awesome. Um, hopeful that it won't turn out too bad or weird next week <laughs> with the accountant. But he always appreciates the spreadsheet and being able to work okay. off that. Um so um, I've had a really good week since Wednesday. Since Wednesday. And uh, one of the books that I grabbed and dug really deep into was this brand new book that I'm holding, Conversations with Spirits of the Southwest, More Adventures into the Paranormal. Our guest is one of the co-authors, Dan Baldwin. Uh, and Dan makes his home in... Mesa, Arizona. He has 60 published works, including 50 as a ghostwriter. He discovered psychic abilities late in life. And Jim, I love this term. Uh, Dan calls himself a psychic on training wheels. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) (laughs) Pendulum dowsing is his skill, and that's... uh, not strange or different to us because we are mm-hmm. here in Nebraska and we have um, family history for many of us that goes back to our ancestors locating or to dig the well. Yeah. By water witching. Yeah, using um, twigs or rods mm-hmm. and divining and witching where the, the well should be dug. So we had uh, the late and great uh, Joe Smith and his wife Marta on the program several times. Uh, He taught uh, pendulum dowsing classes, and Mm -hmm. uh, I have looked all over the place for my my pendulum. I don't know what I did with that. I may have, in the last days of my old store, I may have given it away to somebody, but um, now I wish I had that. Well, you could always get another one. Yeah, but it wouldn't be uh, Joe Smith's. Oh. He he made it with his own hands, so maybe it's still someplace hidden in a drawer. I've maybe got a lot of stuff up. like that. <laughs> so we, Dan is Dan Baldwin is our guest. A pendulum dowsing is his skill, and uh, his paranormal works include the Psychic Detective Guidebook, uh, the Practical Pendulum, 
Hmm. They are not yet lost. Find me. And how find me lost me. A betrayal of trust told by the psychic who didn't see it coming. Dan was also the co-author, along with Dwight and Rhonda Hull, of their previous book, Speaking with Spirits of the Old Southwest. And uh, we had them on the program, I believe it was December 8th. And um, we have that free archive posted in our newsletter and also through the Facebook page, Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. So this is the brand new book. And as I understand it, Dan, you personally even like this one a little bit better. Yeah, um, I think primarily because uh, just for the simple fact that uh, we're better at it. You know, our, our, our combined skills is, uh, I think, unique or definitely something new, uh, combining pendulum dowsing with uh, intuitive abilities. Mm-hmm. And just by the simple fact that, uh, you know, we've, we've kind of honed our craft, I think it's a, it's a lot better book. Plus, it got some really interesting stories in it. <clears throat> oh, I, I would agree with you. Yeah. Uh, I understand that you're originally from Louisiana. Yeah, born up in northwest Louisiana. Can I tell you, uh, uh, just off the subject, a short story that I think you'll appreciate? Oh, please. Okay, so Dad had a friend, Howard Moore, who was, as my dad was, an agronomist and seed technologist. Uh, Howard and his, and his family lived in Louisiana. He had a heavily accented way of speech, and he was really a gentleman. So when Howard came up to visit my father and see Dad's laboratory in Lincoln, Nebraska, Dad took Howard and his wife out to eat, and of course, Dad wanted to showcase that you know we've got great steaks here. And so it took him to one of the well-known steakhouses. And the, the waitress came by, had just given Mr. Moore his, his steak, and said, Now, sir, is there anything that you need? And he said, Yes, ma'am. I'd like some lamb pans. And she said, What? Yes, I'd like some lamb pans. And she looked at my dad like, What is he talking about? And Dad was falling off his seat. And Dad said, my esteemed colleague, Howard Moore, would like some Lee and Perrin's steak sauce. <laughs> Howard said, that's what I said, some land pants. <laughs> I can so see well, that uh, happening. Yeah, there's several accents in Louisiana. One is, the, you have the southern accent, which is the one I have. You know, how you doing, ma'am? Mm-hmm. And then you have the, you know, the Cajun accents down south. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, when you're from Louisiana, you can confuse a lot of people. <laughs> it's Dan, it's really great to have you uh, with us. I so much enjoyed... Well, it's, a it's a delight to be back. ...your previous book, and uh, again, as I said publicly in that show, I have, uh, having read now the second book, I have the greatest respect for how you and Dwight and Rhonda do your investigations. Um, and it's really refreshing to see the respect that you that you give to the location, to the people that may still be inhabiting that area. Um, and plus, if you're, folks, if you're a history buff, you are going to enjoy these books. They are just chock full of history because you've got to do the background before you get there and you've got to find out then more once you have the, the encounter or the experience, don't you? 
Yeah, I, our, our books are as much much history books as they are paranormal books. Our, our basic philosophy is, you know, what better source of information about the Old West, you know, than the people who live the Old West. Mm-hmm. And uh, speaking of your, your, your uh, talk about respect, I think one of the reasons we are so successful and one of the reasons we can get uh, extended conversations with the spirits, I think, is our respectful attitude. Um, when you walk into a haunted house, you're still walking into somebody's house, and you need to, uh, you know, uh, act as if you're walking into somebody's house. You need to show courtesy and respect, and you need to ask permission and, and, and that sort of thing. And that I think they appreciate that. Yeah, I know uh, with some of the, we were just talking with our friend uh, Lloyd Arbach just minutes ago as the opening segment, and if uh, if I tried to use some of the reality TV shows and what they do in trying to provoke a, a ghost a haunting a spirit and trying to just act bizarrely, if anybody like that came in my house, I'd kick them out. <laughs> exactly. You, I think you get exactly what you expect. I mean, you know, like you said, if I walked into your house and started yelling at me, you'd want to kick me out. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, if I walk in and said, hello, Scott, I'd like, my name is Dan, I'd like to sit down and talk with you. Uh, do you mind if we chat? I think you'd be more open to, to chatting. Mm-hmm. And it's the same way with the spirit world. Well, you had a, a lot of critical acclaim and awards for the, the first book, Speaking with Spirits of the Old Southwest. And I'm sure, given the the pipeline of writing the book, editing the book, having it printed, and then having the hard copies come out, I'm sure during that interim, there were still stories and leads showing up. So did it become obvious pretty early that there was probably going to be a second book? Yeah, in fact, uh, before the first book came out, we were already working on uh, on a follow-up book. Uh, You know, one, we wanted to, we, you know, we figured the book would be successful. You never know, but we figured it would be. But primarily, uh, you know, this is what we do. We research the Old West. So really, book two is just a continuation of a process we began a couple mm-hmm. of years ago. Now we it's ha- a natural outgrowth. We had uh, you and Dwight Hull and Rhonda Hull uh, on the previous show. Some of the people listening today don't know uh, about Dwight and Rhonda. Uh, can we, with great respect, can we talk behind their backs <laughs> and tell the audience just a little bit about who Dwight uh, Hull is and who Rhonda Hull is? Okay, yeah, and I've got to give them <clears throat> got to give them credit because Dwight and Rhonda are the ones that really got me interested into this this area of the paranormal. And uh, Dwight is a, a pet psychic and an animal communicator and a, and a you know, talented intuitive. Rhonda Hull is an extremely talented intuitive. I mean, she can actually uh, sense a spirit's presence. And if, if the energy is strong enough, she can actually uh, see the spirit, you know, in, in physical form. And uh, But with the, those two skills and my pendulum dowsing, we have been able to come up with some, uh, what I consider really, a, you know, amazing results. But it's, uh, again, it's the combination of the talents, I think, that's what, what makes it work best. Mm-hmm. And so, Dan, you uh, have been involved in writing a number of projects. I think that I, in our intro, we talked about you having 60 published works, including 50 as a ghostwriter. When did you find, how did you first experience the pendulum? 
Well, I, in essence, I stumbled into the pendulum work uh, mm-hmm. about oh, almost 20 years ago. And, uh, you know, believe this or not, but uh, I'm not I'm not a clear audience. I don't hear voices. I just don't have that skill. But one night I was walking around the neighborhood, and clear as a bell, I heard a voice say, find missing children. I looked around. There was no cars were driving by. No windows were open. I was out in a park. No radios were playing. But I heard a voice that said, find missing children. And that thought would not go away. It would not leave me. So, uh, I don't know, probably three months later, I just did, you know, did the basic, you know, show me the door and I'll walk through it thing. And I started figuring, well, I'm, I'm not a detective. I'm not a trained investigator. I have no skills in that area, but I've got to find missing children. Maybe I can develop my psychic ability and use those skills. And I started hanging around, uh, you know, uh, psychic bookstores and places like that, meeting psychics. And one day I saw a woman uh, working a pendulum, and I said, that's for me. It it just clicked. Mm -hmm. And she showed me how to do it, and then uh, I've been self-taught ever since. And again, uh, we we do our uh, broadcast of our our radio show from Lincoln, Nebraska. It's the heart of uh, America here. And... There are some people listening that may think of uh, pendulums as um, airy-fairy and really way out. But, folks, it's part of our background here in agriculture. Uh, People used methods like uh, water witching, pendulum dowsing, to find places to uh, dig wells. I have talked with a number of people that are expert pendulum dowsers, and these ladies and gentlemen can be called into a recently discovered abandoned graveyard where a lot of the markers have been strewn around, and they can, using their pendulum dowsing, they can find the location of the graves. Um, Some places have used pendulum dowsing to find... um, underground water sources, where to build, where not to build, uh, utility lines, where to run them. Uh, There is a whole bunch. Then if we get into the paranormal, uh, pendulum dowsers have been employed at places where there have been crop circles. Um, And they can discover what are called ley lines, L-E-Y, pronounced ley lines, which are uh, energy patterns, grids, or lines that run through the, the land, and they found oftentimes that these crop circles and the designs are orientated in the same direction as the ley lines. So we, we are not um, very, very far away from our, our ancestors here in Nebraska, and so we understand yeah. fully, Dan, what you're talking about is in terms of pendulum dowsing. Yeah, I often tell people when I run into skeptics, especially younger people, you know, I say, well, you may not believe this, but your granddaddy did. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. What I just <laughs> no. took two minutes to say, you said best in about 10 seconds. <laughs> but, you know, dowsing goes back thousands of years, so yep. if something hangs on that long, there's got to be something to mm-hmm. it. So how did you meet Dwight and Rhonda then? Well, again, uh, when I, I, I followed up with the... Uh, find missing children thing, and uh, we got involved with uh, some groups that, you know, went out and looked for missing children, groups of psychics. And I met Rhonda through that group, and uh, I was running a particular case, of a missing person case that was 100 years ago, 
hundred years old, a cold case. And Rhonda was on my team. And as we worked, we became friends, you know, through, uh, through the email and through telephone calls and things like that. Uh, she lives about uh, two hours south of where I live. But we became friends and discovered that the three of us had a lot of interest in the Old West, Old West history. And, of course, they lived down there near Tombstone, which is, you know, uh, Old West History Central. Mm-hmm. And they invited me down a couple of times to, uh, you know, tour some ghost towns and things like that. And we started, I started driving down there and going to Tombstone and, uh, oh, got Charleston and uh, the Clanton Ranch. And the first time we went out to try that, we made contact and uh, actually released a spirit at that time. And we said, hey, we are on to something. And so we just started doing it from, from that point on. And is there any um, uh, scarcity of places to investigate in the Old Southwest? How do you... Uh, no, 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 no. Any place there have been people, you will find spirits. And in, in, the, in the Old Southwest, there are so many towns and ghost towns and so many places where people lived, uh, lived and died and fought and loved and had families and then moved on. They're just scattered all over the place. Some of these, t- some of these towns... Only lasted maybe as much as six months till the uh, so the gold or the silver played out. They would tear down the town and move a couple of miles down the road uh, and build a brand new town. And when that, that played out, they'd tear down the town and move it down down the road a little bit further. So, oh, there's there's sites all over here. Then you had natural disasters where a town would be hit by a severe flood, and people would say, you know, we we need to relocate this and. So yeah, we've had yeah we have earthquakes out here, and believe it or not, we actually have tornadoes in uh, Arizona. And is it always hot there? My memories of Arizona is that it's just blazing <laughs> hot. Well, we have two seasons. We have eight months of eight months of perfect, and then we have summer. <laughs> and, and you know, there, and there's a clear dividing line. Our winter this year lasted about a week. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's it's perfect right now, just absolutely perfect. Dwight, or excuse me, but yeah, Dan. you know, when it gets up to be around 110, it, it can be considered toasty, I guess. Yeah, my friends that live in Arizona, they always say, "But it's a dry heat." And I come back and say, "110 <laughs> is still darn hot." <laughs> hey, uh, yeah, go sit in your oven. It may be a dry heat, but it's still hot. Dan, the uh, uh, one of the stories uh, has had me thinking. I read it last night. Yeah. I've been pottering this since. Um, stories that surround the old Dutchman mine, and if you'll permit me to say it this way, lost treasure. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I guess if you guys had gone out and find a big treasure and didn't want people to know about it, you probably wouldn't tell me about it, <laughs> but is 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 the technique that you and Dwight and Rhonda use? Is this something um, that could be used to find lost or buried treasure? Uh, certainly, certainly. Uh, I mean, if you can find a lost person, you can find a uh, you know a lost pair of eyeglasses or a lost treasure chest. Uh, I don't do that personally because. Uh, and then, again, this is just my personal opinion, but I, I think that would be an abuse of the gift. I think I'm supposed to use my uh, my dowsing ability not for treasure hunting, mm-hmm. but for other purposes. I understand. But if I wanted to find a lost Dutchman mine or something, I you know, I could get out my old map and get out my pendulum and probably you know come up with a couple of locations. Mm-hmm. 
out in the superstition, there are a lot of abandoned mines out there. And then you've got, as the as that story uh, hinted at, then you've got situations where uh, there would have been stage lines running through the areas and um, robbers and bandits that would sometimes hit that and they would flee into the uh, nearby foothills or mountains and want to have some place to hide or bury uh, the stuff they'd just stolen. And maybe, well, yeah, in fact, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, you, go, go ahead, Dan. No, just uh, one of the theories uh, about the Lost Dutchman mine is that it, it's not a mine at all, and that it was uh, uh, a found gold uh, that, the, uh, that uh, well, that miners had taken out and that the Apaches had attacked the miners, and uh, the Apaches threw the gold away. Just, you know, there was uh, wrapped up in leather bags and things like that, and then the, the Apaches didn't care for the, uh, for the gold. They wanted the mule meat. So they just tossed the gold aside, and that uh, people who have quote found the lost Dutchman mine have found those sacks of gold. Uh, another theory is that the the miner, the, the lost Dutchman, found gold and he cashed it all over the place, all over the superstition, so mm-hmm. he could go back, like going to the bank. And then there was another character called Hacksaw Tom. He was a stagecoach robber who was very successful on the old Apache Trail through through the superstitions. And uh, he was never really caught. And there's, so there's, there are theories that there's gold not only to be mined out in the superstitions, but there are caches of gold all over the place. And you could probably use your pendulum or your El Raja, your witching stick, to locate those. Mm-hmm. I've never done it, of course. Our guest is Dan Baldwin, the co-author of this brand-new gorgeous book, Conversations with Spirits of the Southwest, More Adventures into the Paranormal. Uh, you can go to danbaldwin.biz, B-I-Z. Uh, you can also go to four, that's F-O-U-R, Knights, as in K-N-I-G-H-T-S, fournightspress.com. The overall website for their team is Believe, and that's two E's, B-E-E, believeparanormal.com. And with that, uh, Dan, I had to remark to myself, kind of chuckle, that oftentimes with this overall kind of repository of information, Believe Paranormal, you have <laughs> encounters with bees at a lot of these locations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's sort of a, uh, uh, don't take me too seriously, but it's sort of a sacred totem, especially with, with Dwight and Rhonda. Mm-hmm. Uh, they love bees. And they had a really... Uh, Interesting encounter that we're at the uh, oh the Council Rocks area, which is where Cochise signed the peace treaty with the uh, with the uh, with the army to end in the uh, Apache War supposedly. And they were there one day, and this bee showed up, and they said, "Well, are you here for us?" And the bee just hovered there, and and uh, they said, "If you're here to see us, go land on this uh, table rock." And the bee would go down to the it flew down to the rock. And she would say, well, if you're here for us, fly up. The bee would come up. Would you land on the rock again? And the bee basically uh, followed her orders there. And so they figured that was some sort of spirit communication going on. And the mm-hmm. bees have been kind of special for them ever since. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the bee is a symbol of uh, 
uh, the, the, the traveler between the spirit world and the earth world, so to speak. So it's a, it's a perfectly good symbol for what we do. Mm. More conversation, folks, coming up with Dan Baldwin. I'm Scott Colborn. And Jim, how's your, how's your cup of coffee doing there? Doing just fine, thanks. Okay. Uh, you enjoying the conversation? Very much so. You be sure and jump in here if you want to. Oh, I will. I, folks, I, I actually have his mic open. He's not, he's not banned from talking here. So sometimes Jen likes to sit back and listen. And yep. if you want to jump in, you're welcome to. So. Folks, uh, stay tuned. Uh, this is a perfect time to refill that, that beverage container. And after these important announcements, we'll be right back with conversation with Dan Baldwin. Voice of the Blues in Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for KZUM comes from family-owned and operated Butheris Mason and Love Funeral Home at 40th and A Streets in Lincoln, offering services that allow families to plan ahead according to personal wishes, chapel facilities to accommodate all faiths, and grief support materials for the family following a service. More information is available at 402-488-0934 and online at bmlfh.com. And by... The Haymarket Farmer's Market, thanking its patrons and vendors for this past season. Vendor inquiries for the 2019 season at 402-435-7496 and lincolnhaymarket.org. My name is Manny Morales. I'm 45 and I coach youth football. It's still hard to believe because the high school me was a work in progress. But big brothers, big sisters give me a real role model. And the young me needed a role model bad. My bigger brother's name is Ray. And Ray is the reason that this seven-year-old grows up to be a role model himself. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping big brothers, big sisters help a child. Start something today at bigbrothersbigsisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM. Scott Colborn with Jim Shorney. Our special guest is Dan Baldwin. Their previous book was called Speaking with Spirits of the Old Southwest. And this is the brand new book, Conversations with Spirits of the Southwest, More Adventures into the Paranormal. Uh, I, I liked, Dan, that you, uh, Dwight and Rhonda said that, that you're aware if you did lots of name dropping in the books that people would think that you're, in a sense, gilding the lily, that you're trying to play off yeah. of names and publicity. Having said that, there's nothing to prevent sometimes famous, in a sincere way or dubious way, of famous people who are deceased that come back to actually enter into conversation with you. Uh, and you mentioned um, the great warrior Cochise, uh, and you folks had interactions with Cochise. 
Yeah, we were again up at the uh, the Council Rocks area, and uh, we had a real interesting experience. <clears throat> I took my uh, my Native American flute up with me, and we were sitting in this little alcove there, and I started uh, you know playing the flute and uh, you know some Native American tunes. And uh, Rhonda, who can see spirits, said uh, was giving me kind of a, a strange look, and I said, "What's going on?" Mm-hmm. She said, "You've got a group of Apaches standing around you with kind of a." Uh, what the heck is going on? Look on their faces. You know, you know, what is this white boy doing playing our music type? There was a years ago. And, uh, Dwight and Ron have actually had a contact with uh, with Cochise, and they they've got a recording, an EVP, which says basically, "I am Cochise." And that would be on the uh, BillyParanormal.com website. Right. Exactly. One of the good things about our book, if uh, when you read a chapter and if we have captured uh, an EVP during that session, you can log on to the website and actually hear the EVP that we captured that you have just read about. Cool. Yeah, we, it's, it's kind of a nice add-on to the book. Years ago, Dan, I had a, a, a metaphysical bookstore that I operated for about 19 years, and um, I sold some... Um, um, flutes that were made by a gentleman from Omaha, and there was one in particular that I personally bought uh, that was perfectly toned in terms of sequence of notes, because there is a real art, isn't there, in where to drill the holes. Um, if you do them in a random way, you won't get the appropriate, you know, do re mi fa so la ti. You won't get the the oh, exactly whole notes and half notes and the correct spacing. Well, this one was just letter perfect, and it's one of those things that, again, when I was closing things down and and trying to sell anything I could to pay the rent except for my children, that was one of the things <laughs> yeah. that I let go of, and I it was perfect. I just I still wish that I had that because it sounded so good. So when you in in your book when you talked about playing this flute, um, I could identify totally with that. There is. Yeah, a, I love it. It's it's almost like uh, like meditation. It, it that's it exactly. Yes. Yeah. It has uh, so many things that connect with an environment. Um, the sound of the Native American flute uh, is well to many folks. It's it's a holy experience, and so I can. Yeah, I think uh, in this case the, with the Apaches, I think they really appreciated not only the music but the. Uh, the fact that we made the effort to to you know to play music for them, mm-hmm. I think they appreciated that. I wonder what they would think when um, people have the sort of the drunken parties and understand that vandals had even spray painted some walls and things there. Yeah, I think they would have exactly the same uh, same feeling you would have if somebody walked into your house and started throwing a party and spray painted your walls. I don't think they like it at all. Yeah, that's boy. That's not a good way to make friends now or in the future. Uh, and I bring that up because, again, your approach that you, Dwight and Rhonda, use is totally different. It's one of respect, uh, asking permission to be there, to continue. Um, if you move around, sometimes asking permission, can we go over there? Uh, would you Would you come with us? Is there anybody else that? hasn't been able to speak that wants to speak um and then sometimes dan even though you claim to be a psychic on training wheels you have some really interesting things happen to you uh you'll have pendulum movement 
that cannot be attributed to tremors, to wind, etc., that suddenly just almost jolt your pendulum. And you got to say, where did that come from? Yeah, um, yeah, most of the time uh, when the pendulum moves, it is moving at the direction of your subconscious, which acts through your muscle. You know, the human being is actually moving the pendulum uh, under the guidance of the subconscious. But in a couple of cases, uh, some things have happened that I, I literally can't explain. Uh, uh, and it, what I'm about to tell you was witnessed by several people, but we actually released uh, the spirit of a, of a ghost down in Tombstone. Uh, he was a murderer, and he was just terrified of crossing over, of going into the light. Mm-hmm. And God, we worked on him for quite a while. And when he finally released, it was extremely emotional. And I don't remember this, but several people who were there tell me my pendulum actually spun in a full circle, up, you know, not horizontal, but up and around, and then it dropped out of my hand when that happened, at the very moment he was released. When you, when you go to an area, um, I followed the, uh, the stories that, that you'll, you'll set up at a location, you'll start the, a recording mechanism. Sometimes you've got multiple recorders, uh, and you've got your pendulum out. And then, um, is it Dwight or Rhonda or combination of both of them that start to, start to identify perhaps a presence that may be there? Yeah, generally, um, what we do is we'll walk around the location, and uh, Dwight or Rhonda will get a feel for a particular spot, and uh, we'll go to that spot. And, you know, generally it works this way. Uh, Rhonda will have uh, contact with the spirit. Dwight, who's trained in in, uh, uh, the military police, will basically conduct the interview, and then I will work my pendulum. And, you know, sometimes the three of us will ask ask questions, and sometimes one of us will take over from, from Dwight or whatever. But generally, uh, he'll ask the questions, uh, and uh, Rhonda and I will kind of back up each other. In other words, if I I get a yes on my pendulum, a yes swing on my pendulum, she'll go, yeah, he's nodding his head, yes, that sort of thing. Sometimes, you know, uh, Rhonda and I have actually sat back to back so that uh, she couldn't see my pendulum movement, and I couldn't see her her, her body language so Mm -hmm. that we made sure our our answers were uh, identical. And it's worked out. Yeah, about 100% of the time. We always get the same thing. As an example, folks, um, Dwight or Rhonda might say, uh, I'm sensing a presence. Um, Is there a single individual? And then, Dan, you respond and say, I'm getting a no. Are there more than one individuals here? And Dan then says, Yes, I'm through the pendulum. I'm getting a yes, and then sometimes you can have, for example, what's called a null answer. Uh, and is that where the pendulum shows no movement at all? Exactly. That, or maybe it moves just back and forth. Mm-hmm. Need more information? Phrase the question yeah, a little bit differently. We had an interesting thing happen one time. Uh, Rhonda and I were getting different answers. In other words, she would get a yes, and I would get a no. I would get a yes, and she would get a no, and we couldn't quite figure it out. And then uh, I asked the question, are we talking to two different people? And I got a yes. So she was, we were asking one question. She was getting an answer from a female spirit, and I was getting an entirely different answer 
from a male spirit. And once we figured that out, we realized we were talking to two different spirits so we could conduct a conversation uh, you know, a, a lot more profitably from their own. And then sometimes, Dan, in a location, you'll find that you have some individuals that are from our area, or excuse me, from our era, if you will. You'll also have another layer of individuals that are maybe from, let's say, 100, 120 years ago. And then you might have another layer of individuals that may be some of the first uh, inhabitants of an area, uh, almost a Paleolithic era, if you will. Well, that has happened, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. We went to a place called the... Uh, it was a Spanish fort back in the 17... It was founded in 1776, as a matter of fact, by the actually the, the conquistadors. Came in there, set up a fort, and... Uh, of course, the uh, the Apaches had other ideas, and they eventually they, you know ran them out of the out of the place. But we went there fully expecting that we were going to talk to either uh, Spanish soldiers, or we would you know end up talking with uh, you know Apache warriors. As it turned out, we were sitting there talking to these people. We made contact pretty easily, pretty quickly, pretty easily, and. Uh, we were having not trouble communicating, but we were having trouble with with some of the some of the terminology. Mm-hmm. Like I would say, uh, "Did you hunt with the bow and arrow?" And they, you know, uh, well, we get it like a no answer. Like they didn't understand what bow and arrow was. And then I asked, "Did you hunt with a throwing stick?" And again, got a strange answer. A strange answer. Uh, they didn't understand. And then it occurred to me maybe we're talking to paleo people. So I described a spear point called the Clovis point which was only used by uh, the people that lived ten to 12,000 years ago. So did you hunt with a spear with, and I described the, the, the point, and we got a definite yes. So we were talking basically to uh, the Cro-Magnon men, the, the primitive Paleo-Indians who roamed that area. Mm-hmm. And you and, and Dwight and Rhonda um, have a very interesting, it's a very intriguing theory that some of these individuals, in fact, may have crossed over and elected at times to come back. It's almost as if... Yeah, that's one of the most surprising things to me is uh, that, that we learned, and we're still learning more about that. But apparently when you cross over, you have a lot of options. You know, it's not an either-or either or situation. It's not, you know, you're going uptown or you're going downtown. Mm-hmm. You have actual actual option as to what you can do. Uh, presumably you can move on from that point or you can choose to come back here. And the reasons you, you choose to come back here can be uh, very varied. We run into people who uh, come back to help other people cross over. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, uh, Maddie Earp, the, uh, her, the uh, common law wife of Wyatt Earp, actually, uh, actually does that. Uh, we run into the spirit of a little girl who died at one of the mining towns, a uh, ghost town called Gleason. She comes back, and uh, she kind of helps the other people who cross over. Uh, we've run into that a number of times. We've also run into uh, examples when, uh, for lack of a better term, the spirit's taking a vacation. We've asked, you know, why are you here? And the answer is, uh, I love it here. I have a good time here. So apparently they can come back and just re-experience very pleasant uh, experiences in the, uh, you know, in, the, in the flesh, so to speak. Mm-hmm. 
And do you, uh, Dwight and Rhonda, do you lead people out on um, uh, excursions or expeditions? Yeah, uh, every year Dwight and Rhonda and, uh, run a uh, promotion for uh, wounded warriors, and they've been kind enough the last four years to allow me to participate into that. And as part of a weekend experience, uh, you know, you'll pay your money, you'll come out, we'll lead you on different different excursions, and the profits go to, to wounded warriors. But we'll go out to different locations and kind of tour them around, and in some locations we'll uh, give instruction on how to, uh, you know, communicate with the spirits, and actually they get to uh, experience firsthand the spirit communication. Oh, how interesting. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's extremely rewarding, not only because... You're working with a lot of interested people, but because it also goes to a you know really good cause. Mm-hmm. I imagine that that Dan, you have probably learned a lot about yourself too, doing this sort of work. Uh, I've learned that I need to learn a lot more about myself. <laughs> I think one of the, I often say this: one of the best days in my life, possibly the best day in my life, is the day I realize that I I, I don't know it all. Yeah, amen. Amen. Yeah. We can have um, uh, experiences, and I've called them extraordinary experiences, peak experiences, and we either are open to those and made more and more curious by the ramifications of that, or if we uh, have been trained that if we can't see it, bite it, hold on to it that's not real, then we we let it go and sandbag it and try to forget about it. But it's been my case, Dan, that, that when I've had the chance to sit down with people in a very comfortable environment and people get a little bit deeper in conversation and realize that there's nobody that's going to be made fun of and there's no ridicule factor and an open and genuine interest in, in conversation... Some of these experiences come out, um, and I'm reminded that we that we all walk around with a sense that we have kind of a handle on on reality, and in fact, that's the tip of the iceberg. And so I so appreciate reading your exploits and those of Dwight and Rhonda. Because, again, it hints at this larger um, reality that we're a part of. and It's a very big universe. Yes, it is. Part of, I, th- I think, your work is to help people understand that, that it's okay to enlarge that envelope of consensus reality because you're letting more of what is into your presence. Yeah, open your mind, and amazing things happen. They, uh, they, amazing things will will literally will come to you if you're open-minded and, and willing to uh, accept and willing to explore. Um, have you had Dan recently uh, one of these personal experiences that maybe would be directly attributed to now doing your work, taking these steps? Something that just set you back and said, "My goodness, what was that?" Uh, that would have to be the uh, on, a, on a, a truly powerful level. That would have to be the, uh, the the couple of instances where we have actually released a spirit, where you've uh, you made contact with someone, 
who was literally terrified, I mean, terrified of crossing over, and you help that person realize that, you know, it's, it's whatever you're thinking is wrong, it's different once you cross over. Uh, <clears throat> all is forgiven. And when that happens, it's, uh, it's, it's powerfully emotional. I, I, you have to experience it to, to understand, but it's extremely powerful. And it's undeniable. Once, you, once that's happened to you, you know what's happened. You know you've experienced it. You know that there is life beyond uh, this physical life mm-hmm. and that you can, you can actually converse and interact with that life. It's incredibly powerful. One of my uh, ambitions in life that I have yet to fulfill is to go to uh, Gettysburg and spend some time there. I've had a, a big interest in that that series of, of battles there. And uh, I would guess from having read your book and several of the stories hint at this, that if you have individuals that were if you will, on opposing sides or factions that died at a location, um, they may not want to cross over because of fear of meeting the people that they killed, that they harmed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet, I have run into that exact situation. Uh, at, a, at one of the chapters, it's the uh, Bucknell Cabin, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. It's the, the bloodiest ground in Arizona. They were like, they know of 21 murders that have been convicted at that site. No telling how many more. But uh, we went out there one day, and we did a reading. And we encountered the spirits of the Apaches and the experiences of some uh, some miners who worked there. And we actually talked to them about that very subject. And they said, you know, while we were physically alive, we were enemies. On this side, uh, we're friends. That's a really- I, I found, found that. You know, they, they weren't carrying grudges. or You know, they may have actually killed each other. But once they crossed over, they were uh, had a different perspective on how things work. Let that, me put it that way. It all drops away. That's, that was fascinating. That's a very, very powerful message. Uh, when we come back, uh, tell us about the real Wyatt Earp. And give us a, a thumbnail sketch of, of the Clantons. Because I and so many people uh, have got the Hollywood version uh, that I've grown up with. And so tell good us. Good movies, bad history. Yeah, good movies, bad history. Tell us about some of that when we come back here. And then, Dan, if, if you also uh, would pick, there are so many great stories in your book, but if you'd pick one, let's talk about that. Okay, can do. This is Dan Baldwin. Uh, the author of uh, some 60 books. Did I say that right, Dan? That is correct. 50 was somebody else's name on the cover. Do you, do, by the way, do you have a favorite ghostwriting name, or does it change? No, I use my own name. Okay. Yeah, on my books, uh, on the ghost books, you know, it's, uh, my name is in Chinese, upside down in the acknowledgments. <laughs> okay. Um. Dan Baldwin, our special guest, he's come back to us. He and Dwight and Rhonda were last on the show back in December 8th, and we've got that archive posted at kzum.org slash EUP, and you can listen to that free archive from December 8th. 
Dan's the co-author with Rhonda and Dwight Hall of this brand new book, Gorgeous Front Cover, Conversations with Spirits of the Southwest, More Adventures into the Paranormal. If you stay tuned, we'll be right back with um, the true story of Wyatt Earp and the Clantons and more stories from Conversations with Spirits of the Southwest. I'm Scott Colborn, and you're listening to Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. She captures your eye with a predatory stare And you go willingly forward into a spider's lair She's been spinning a web and you can't wait to be caught Your battle's lost, but far hands even fought You try to keep your head, you know, you try to be cool But a wicked little smile lets you know she's not fooled You're walking straight into disaster She's gonna eat you alive. Hey, the voice of the blues in Lincoln, Nebraska. KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for This Week in Lincoln comes from the Bourbon Theater, Duffy's Tavern, Crescent Moon Coffee, Metal Art Coffee, and the Zoo Bar. On Saturday, March 16th, Purple Rain. The Prince Tribute Show comes to the Leeds Center at 7.30. The Bourbon hosts a 9 p.m. show with The Killigans, Freakabout, and Bogus Man. 23rd Vibration plays Bodega's Alley at 9. Lena Elizabeth starts at 8 p.m. at Crescent Moon. The Bay hosts a 7 p.m. show with Deadbeat, Ferris, and Gut Punch. And Vintage Pistol plays the Zoo Bar at 9. The full moon lights the silver rails winding around dark mountains and over steep gorges of jagged rock in one freezing cold rushing black mountain river. I wish there was enough time to describe all of the funny twists and turns that led up to now, but there isn't enough time because there's a ticking clock and the two passengers we care most about don't know anything about it. To see what happens next, visit read.gov to read The Exquisite Corpse, a riveting adventure pieced together by John Sheska, Shannon Hale, Daniel Handler, and other popular authors. Explore new worlds. Read. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM. Scott Colborn with Jim Shorty. And I'm enjoying talking with Dan Baldwin. Dan's taken out time from his, uh, his Saturday morning to be with us. Dan makes his home in the uh, Arizona state. And... Uh, Dan, when, when you are not writing or out on adventures with Dwight and Rhonda, what do you like to do for fun? Uh, that is what I do for fun. Okay. I, I love writing. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. I get to uh, do, you know, make my living doing what I love. And my avocation is hiking and camping in the desert. And uh, I get to do that when I'm not, uh, quote, working. Uh, yeah. it, it's wonderful. If you folks uh, that are aspiring writers, I think you'll be interested, too, in Dan's website for, F-O-U-R, Knights, K-N-I-G-H-T-S, press.com, for knightspress.com, because he's got a lot of writing tips there. I thought that was pretty cool. I went through and read a, a bunch of those last night. Oh, well, thank you. I, uh, you know, once a week I post, uh, you know, 
basically my thoughts of the day on, on some some aspect of writing. It's whatever pops into my brain. But people seem to like it. Mm-hmm. So and it's free. The the Hollywood version of Wyatt Earp is that <laughs> yeah. Here's this guy who is a um, a good guy. Um, in my mind, he had on a, a, a white suit, if you will, and um, he always came to the aid of the people that were in trouble, and if the town was beset by, quote-unquote, bad guys, he and his brothers uh, would take care of business. Um, the OK Corral, the famous gunfight with the Clantons and some of their hired hands, was always depicted as being the good guys against the bad guys. Um, but reading your books, I've discovered that there's another aspect to Wyatt Earp and maybe some of the historians that I learned these, these facts from, maybe they didn't want us to know about this stuff. Um, well, one thing about the Old West, uh, whether you're a good guy or a bad guy often depended on where you were at the time. For example, uh, Wyatt Earp, uh, was always involved in law enforcement all all the way through his life. He was involved on the, the right side of the law, but he was also at, uh, in an early part of his life was a horse thief. He worked at a bordello. He may have been a pimp. They don't know for sure, but he definitely worked as a as a bouncer at a at a bordello in Kansas. On the other hand, uh, the Clantons, Ike Clanton, uh, was a rustler. He died uh, he died a thief and buried in an unmarked grave in uh, northern Arizona. And died as a result of committing a robbery, but he was also a well-respected businessman. Uh, unlike the portrayals in uh, in the movies where he's an ugly thug, he was a quite handsome, well-dressed, dapper individual. He owned cafes, he owned ranches. Uh, so that you know, uh, these these characters, heroes and villains, aren't black and white like they're portrayed in the movies. And uh, the good guys never shoot the bad guys in the back or never ambush them. It's always the bad guys that do yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, I noticed... Uh, one of the sad things about... You mentioned the OK Corral. One of the sad things about that... One, I think the, I think the showdown was inevitable. I think it was, it was going to happen. But, uh, you know, the, the brothers, uh, the McClowry brothers, were victims in the, uh, the OK Corral. And I think that's that's one of the saddest aspects is because that's a, a perfect example of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. I think the McClowers, again, who were killed, were headed out of town, and they had their guns on because they were leaving town. And if the if the Earps and uh, uh, Doc Holliday had maybe arrived five minutes later, the McClowers would have been on the road and back to their ranch. But they were there at the time, and so you uh, you know you stick with your buddies. And you stand up with your buddies, and they pay the ultimate price. Mm-hmm. You know, again, they're not the villains that they're often portrayed as in the movies. And we we didn't learn at all in terms of growing up that um, Wyatt Earp had a common law wife that he basically um, abandoned. Uh, yeah, walked away from and just left, abandoned. Yeah, Maddie Earp uh, appears in both books. We met her in book one, and we went back and visited her in uh, in book two, and we have learned quite a bit from Maddie Earp. She's quite quite a lady, quite a lady. Very uh, a very tragic, very sad lady, but still a, a powerful individual. Uh, Wyatt Earp eventually did he die in Kansas City? 
No, he died in Hollywood. Thank you. I've, I'd forgotten. Yeah, that. he was out there uh, you know, advising in Western movies. Supposedly, John Main, Wayne uh, met Wyatt Earp. And a lot of the early cow, cowboy heroes like Tom Mix and some of the others were uh, were well, well familiar with, with Wyatt Earp. Gene Autry. Yep, he was one of those guys. Wow. Yeah. There was a, uh, it, as I grew up, Dan, there was a, a Sunday morning Western. And um, I'm, I'm honest in saying that sometimes I rigged physical symptoms so that I presented myself to my parents <laughs> as being ill and I couldn't go to church. And so <laughs> once they left, I turned I, I on... I never pulled that, of course. I turned on the, the TV to watch the Sunday morning Western, and and uh, so I grew up watching a lot of those guys, Gabby Hayes and uh, all those people. Oh, yeah, Roy Rogers, uh, you know, Lash LaRue, Gene Autry. Uh, one, of the things, all those characters. one of the things that I got, again, from your book uh, is that um, water is so important uh, it's so important now, and it was really, really important back then. You just couldn't live any place in the Arizona, in the territory. You had to be around or close to water. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it gets very hot out here, it, and it's, uh, the humidity is often zero. So it just, you know, the, the environment sucks the water out of your body. Uh, you can get uh, sick. Very, very fast. When I go hiking in the desert, uh, you know, my, my number one survival tool is uh, many, many, many bottles of water. Mm-hmm. So if you run out of water, it can be, uh, which I have done, it can be extremely unpleasant. Uh, when you go out, this is totally off the subject, when you go out for a hike, um, do cell phones have enough towers that you've got coverage, or are you ever at a point where you're suddenly out of coverage and you better not fall and break your break your leg? Yeah, it depends on where you go, but mostly in the superstitions where I do most of my hiking. Uh, I carry a cell phone, but it's uh, not to make phone calls because you can't get any coverage out there. But uh, if, if something was to happen and they were looking for me at night, I could turn the cell phone on and use it as a light to attract people. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a lot of places I go, uh, cell phone is just, just no good. Just because of, you know, you're, you're down in valleys or down in a volcanic caldera or something like that. So, you know, yeah, you, you've got to be careful. I'm an old Eagle Scout, so one of the things I learned... Oh, me too. Congratulations. And the same to you, sir. It's, it was, Proud of it. It was, yes, sir. It was an honor. Uh, one of the things I learned early on was the buddy system. that you, you make sure if you're going out someplace, you've got somebody with you. And uh, then you also leave word about where you've gone. Exactly. Yeah, I leave word. This is where I'm going. This is the trail I'm taking. Uh, this is the way I'm coming back. Have you ever had uh, an occasion, having done an investigation, Dan, uh, where you felt like one of the individuals has um, come home with you? Oh, that's uh, that's common. Uh, in fact, uh, getting back to Maddie Earp, uh, she's kind of become uh, oh, a, fa- a member of the family. Uh, Rhonda and Maddie have uh, really developed uh, a relationship, and uh, she has invited Maddie to come to uh, you know come see us, come up, come over to our house and visit with us. And they have come up with a uh, 
a certain signal that when Maddie shows up, something happens, something that's, uh, that, that Maddie would cause and would say, hey, I'm here. Mm-hmm. And that's happened several times. So, yeah, the ghosts can, uh, the spirits can travel around. And if they're friendly, you know, uh, they'll, they'll follow you home. And, uh, you know, like I said, in, in, uh, in that case, they were invited to follow home. This is Dan Baldwin, the author of Conversations with Spirits of the, of the Southwest, More Adventures into the Paranormal. Dan, do you have, uh, in all these stories that are presented, do you have uh, uh, maybe one or two that are favorites of yours that you could talk about? Oh, well, one, well, one of my favorite would be, uh, uh, just because I'm the center of attention, <laughs> we went down to a place called Fort Rucker, which is in southern Arizona. It's mm-hmm. a you know, U.S. Army fort. Uh, it was in an area that uh, Geronimo roamed, and then after the Apache Wars, it's, uh, Geronimo was actually taken there as a prisoner before being shipped on to Florida. But it's a, it's a ruin way, way, way back off a dirt road back in the Chiricahuas, and, uh, you know, probably 10, 15 miles from any civilization. And we went back there, and it's a beautiful place. Uh, it was active as a farm up until, I believe, the 1950s. So you've got ruins there that date from the 1950s back to uh, you've got Adobe ruins from the uh, 18 probably 1870s, 1880s. So it's a fantastic site, and uh, we're at one of the buildings, and I'm sitting there. I've got my little pendulum out. I'm, you know, we're sitting down. We're kind of getting ready for a session, and at some point I said, uh, "I think all the spirits are here," and we've got uh, we heard a, heard a voice, and we had this recorder saying, "Not yet, Dan." so when you hear your name called by a spirit that will get your attention and did that show up as one of the evps yeah yeah we've got it recorded yeah so there's another you know dwight was walking by uh one of the one of the rooms he said uh in in the modern building he said i think this is the bathroom and right behind him you hear the word banos which is spanish for bathroom so, Jim Shorty, isn't this interesting? Very interesting. Again, that that yep. people have employed this technology, mm-hmm. but you have a real-time interaction where somebody says out loud the name of one of the people mm-hmm. present. You know, they didn't say Jim Shorty or Scott Colborn. They said, not yet, Dan. Yeah, that's... We had another experience up there at, at one of the buildings. We think it was a bakery, which is uh, it's an open building now. The windows and doors have been busted out. But we were sitting in there. And the three of us were at different points in the room. And I swear to God, we heard uh, marching footsteps, like uh, marching on gravel. And uh, it, was, it was so loud, I went outside to see if maybe there was a cow walking around or something. Obviously, mm-hmm. there wasn't. And the place was surrounded by tall grass. But we heard marching on gravel. And Dwight asked the, was talking to the spirits. He said, "If you're here, what you know, what were you doing here?" And we have recorded the word "marching." Well, wow. so yeah, you know, that's just a, a strange uh, way two thing two different effects came together at the same time. Uh, you've got also a chapter in here of uh, Adamsville Cemetery, um, Good Dog. Yeah. So you actually found a, a marker for a somebody's companion. Yeah, we were at Adamsville. That's near Florence, Arizona. It's 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 not even a town now. It's it's rubble, but it was a flourishing little community. Uh, 
south of the Superstition Mountains at one time. In fact, the Lost Dutchman mine, the Lost Dutchman we talked about earlier, actually would get some of his uh, food and supplies there at Adamsville. But we were walking around, and there's an old cemetery there. And we we, lo- we noticed, uh, you know, one extremely well-tended grave. It was, you know, uh, you know, a lump of dirt, but surrounded by a, a, a row of rocks and had a nice headstone. So we walked over there. Dwight felt a pool over there. And this beautiful little grave was actually the grave of a German shepherd dog. Mm-hmm. And uh, the master, who the guy who had owned the dog, get, keeps coming back, and he tends to the grave and makes sure it's well kept. And uh, Dwight actually made contact with the spirit of the animal and uh, determined that, you know, the animal was happy. Uh, he was pleased that his master kept coming back and taking care of the grave and, and visiting him. And who was one of the early settlers that... Um was out in a very rural area at his remote cabin and sees a band of Apaches approaching, which is going to mean his certain death. What does he do? Yeah. Oh, that's, that's Elijah Rebus. And I believe we have made contact with him out in the, the, the northern end of the superstition. But Rebus was uh, one of these wild, woolly men. If you see the picture of him, he's got a beard that reaches down to his belly button. And you know, he's got the old ragged clothes, and he's got the, the long rifle in his hand. But he had a ranch up in the, the northeastern end of the Superstition Mountains where he raised apples and uh, some, some animals. He did trading with the, the different forts around the area. And the Apaches, who really ruled the land at that time, approached his cabin one time. And like you said, that you know, this is sudden death. This is it. So Rebus takes off his clothes runs out and, and charges the Apaches, screaming and dancing like a mad fool all around the Apaches. Of course, they think that he's nuts, and so that gives him a certain uh, quasi-religious uh, appearance to the Apaches. So they basically leave him alone, and he was able to uh, oh, you know, live there till, for the rest of his life. Yeah, they apparently the Apaches had a prohibition against harming anybody who was uh, mentally ill or off or couldn't yeah. couldn't uh, care for themselves. And this guy takes his clothes off and goes charging out, doing exactly the opposite of what I would do, and runs up to him and is yelling and dancing around like a quote-unquote madman, and the Apaches ride off and leave him alone. Wow. Yeah, you wonder, you know, did, he, did he know that, or was he just kind of a <laughs> last desperate chance you know what have i got to lose mm-hmm. but it's a true story now his grave is, is still out there in the superstitions dan what would you um as some final comments what would you like to leave our listeners with one uh, keep an open mind uh, whether you believe or not i, I don't really care i you know uh, i'm not a missionary for uh, for the paranormal but it's out there. It's real. I've touched it. I've interacted with it. Keep an open mind. Uh, if you go out uh, investigating on your own, be a decent person. Show respect and courtesy, and you'll get uh, a, a lot better results. How can people, Dan, contact you if they've got uh, questions, comments, uh, stories, uh, if they want to perhaps take part in one of the annual Wounded Warrior events where you take a group of people out, how can they reach you? Yeah, I would go to the Believe Paranormal website for that. Okay, that is um, yeah. the word believe. And also, spell- we're on Facebook, so if you follow, face- friend us on Facebook, uh, all of our activities are posted you know, there. 
The word believe is with two E's, B-E-E-L-I-E-V-E, believeparanormal.com. And there's also a Believe Paranormal on Facebook. Dan Baldwin is on Facebook as well. Um, what are you doing for the rest of the weekend, Dan? I am going out to the wilderness and uh, have a, and commune with the spirits, so to speak. I'm going to uh, what I consider a, a very small, very sacred uh, Native American place. And uh, uh, I'm not going to do any ghost hunting or anything like that. I'm just going to go sit out and enjoy, and enjoy the show. Uh, trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, brave and reverent. reverent. Yep. Thank you, sir, for the conversation. I've been looking forward Thank to you. it I again. I enjoyed it tremendously. And, Dan, all the best to you, Dwight and Rhonda, and please keep us apprised of, of your work. Will do. Thank you. Dan Baldwin, the co-author with Dwight and Rhonda Hall, Conversations with Spirits of the Southwest. More adventures into the paranormal. And, uh, boy, if I was in the Arizona area, that would be a yeah. fun event to take part in when they take a group that of would. people out. And uh, there are several stories where the people in a group are interacting in real time with the spirits, mm -hmm. with Dwight, Rhonda, and Dan, and uh, interesting. So uh, the previous book was Speaking with Spirits of the Old Southwest. This is the brand new one, Conversations with spirits of the Southwest. And both of these could be how-to manuals for a lot of paranormal adventurers and investigators. This is, folks, this is how you do it, with lots of respect. And uh, I think you get a lot more in return when you do that. So thanks again to Dan Baldwin for being with us. Next week, we have Tannis Hallowell and an interesting, interesting woman. She's got a brand new book out called The High Beings of Hawaii, Encounters mm. with Mystical Ancestors. That sounds fascinating. Jim, what are you doing for the rest of the weekend? I'm going to go home and play on the two-way radio a little bit and go out this evening and listen to Enigma play at a winery near us. Okay. You can find out more uh, on Facebook. Enigma mm -hmm. is on Facebook. They are. Um, Enigma, the ultimate acoustic duo. Okay. I'm going to play, I'm going to have lunch and then play some guitar. Lunch sounds good. I should do that too. Folks, thanks so much for listening. And I'm Scott Colborn. Until next week, walk in beauty.